0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture. But as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. call clickranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done. Hello everyone and welcome to Slashfilm Daily for Friday, August 19th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at slashfilm.com and I am joined on today's episode by slashfilm editor Y Chong Boy.
1: Hey everyone.
0: HT, how's it going? It's raining here in Florida. So if you hear any rumbling thunder, that's what's going on in the background. Uh, It's not anything too chaotic. But I guess speaking of of chaos, you uh, recently took a trip to the danger zone.
1: Yes, I flew to San Diego to uh, experience the danger zone. Uh, If you want to know what I'm talking about, I was flown out by Paramount to a Top Gun Maverick Press event in which we were given the opportunity to fly like the pilots in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, basically, we were at this um, company called Sky Combat Ace, in which professional pilots uh, will give you will fly you around in these small. Like, military jets uh the exact planes that we were in were called extra 330 lcs and uh it's you in the cockpit with the pilot behind you and you get the chance to experience what it's like to to be in one of those like military jets um i did get sick
0: (laughs) that was my first question obviously
1: i was really confident too because i actually do like flying and i was very excited the closest experience I've had to this is being in a helicopter where i my parents and i were in hawaii and we did like this um beautiful tour of the hawaiian like like coast i can't remember was maui um or Kauai, um and we got to do like a tour with a helicopter so that was the closest experience i've had but this was definitely on a whole other level um so we not only got to fly in these planes we also got to control them for a brief moment
0: Okay, so that, that seems insane to me. They <laughs> relinquished control to people who have, have no training whatsoever?
1: They, they gave us a 30-minute orientation then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, yes, I stand corrected.
1: Yeah, well, I had a call sign too. I was desert power.
0: <laughs> of course, amazing.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, basically they relinquished controls to us. We got to take control of the, I, I want to say, joystick um, for a brief moment where we were we flew with another – journalist slash pilot with them um and we basically um imitated the the fights and the the sort of maneuvers in Top Gun Maverick. We had a, a dog fight. um I won by the way.
0: awesome congratulations <laughs> yeah, at a
1: cost <laughs> um, and um then we we bombed a we quote-unquote bombed a target so basically when we have our dog fight we have to get behind the other plane um and uh press a trigger which if you are if they're in your sights then smoke goes off on the other plane no harm done to either planes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then the the bombing was just a, a target that was at some in some distance and then we flew towards that direction uh given the controls again to fly towards that direction i was like please tell me which direction to go <laughs> um and uh we have to press the trigger and and um It'll go, you know, it'll smoke and everything. So, um, I was very nervous to actually have control because at first I thought I was just going to be like a a passenger and that would be fun. But uh, actually having control, I'm not a great gamer, so I was like, well, this this might endanger myself. But I apparently flew very well, well enough that I I won the dogfight, but also well enough that I got very nauseous after. A couple of loops that I did, <laughs> um, and my pilot behind me was like, "Yeah, go! Just like keep, uh, keep aiming up." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Uh, Man, yeah, this was, sounds
0: like quite the experience. It
1: was such a great experience. Um, it was incredible. Uh, I have never had anything, experienced anything like it. Just being in this small cockpit and like feeling every single movement, which I thought was was uh brilliant i thought that was incredible um and the air there's little ventilators too so you can feel like air and everything coming in um and it was just uh it was we were so high up it was it was incredible um of course after i didn't feel it was incredible when i I did get nauseous and i was (laughs) i actually started tunnel vision for a second i was like oh this this is interesting Luckily, I was not in control when I was tunnel fishing.
0: Well, at least you didn't pass out in the plane like yeah. some of the characters in the movie. So.
1: Yeah, I was. They they told us that people have done that before, and I was like, "Well, I hope I don't."
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but uh, yeah, if this is all um, this was all filmed, um, and uh, it will be the footage will be available on slash film either our on our social medias at some point, um, sometime next week. So awesome. uh, you can look forward to that. You can look forward to my my wide grin turning into a grimace. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So, uh, man, that sounds incredible. And uh, it really just actually makes me want to watch Top Gun Maverick again. So I yeah. guess it's a good – they do a good job of, um, yeah. of uh, giving you that experience and sort of like um, – you know, it's like how you see – a fast food commercial that actually works and it really like makes you want that thing um, instead of just like ignoring it like every other commercial. So uh, yeah, you know, kudos to the the marketing team for this one. It actually makes me want to rewatch the movies.
1: Yeah, kudos to them.
0: Okay, so let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, you and I are um, long-standing fans of the Netflix series Never, Never Have I Ever, which uh, just released its third season, um, what, a, a week or so ago? Several days ago? I'm not sure. Not not too long ago. Uh, and both of us, it seems, have, have blown through this. What did you think about Never Have I Ever Season 3, H.C.?
1: I thought it was great. I mean, I think this first season is still the, the best of all the seasons just because it has that more potent me- metaphor of of uh, Davy dealing with her grief by acting out the way she does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you know, second season's fun because it has a love triangle. And third season has a love quadrangle, which I always really enjoy. I'm a sucker for those kind of rom-com tropes. And um, it was fun. I think that – I th- yeah, I think this is probably just on par with season two in that it was – it. it was more focused on the high school r- romance antics, um, but I did like the the character increased characterization for you know the supporting characters. Elaine, true MVP of this season. Um, oh, uh, Eleanor, Eleanor, sorry, not Elaine, yeah, Eleanor, yeah, yeah. sorry. Oh my god, I-, I watched it a couple days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor, true MVP of this season, um, and I did like Davy's whole journey actually, where she's kind of. You know, coming to realize um, like who Paxton, her her dream boat, um, you know, slash boyfriend, uh, really was to her, and what he what he provided to her, and her own insecurities and everything. And I think that was that was really exciting to see, and like how she strengthened her relationship with her her mother even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remain Team Vengros, so <laughs> I was very happy with the spoiler alert, um, just final acts of, of mm-hmm. the season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair to say, I mean, given, you know, if you watch the second season, you know, there's a bit of a back and forth there between, you know, uh, Davy sort of bouncing back and forth between Paxton and Ben and, and sort of her, um, you know, where her, her uh, loyalties lie between those two characters and and the relationship there. And that's a lot of the the drama of the show is like, which one of these guys, if, if, if it's one of these guys, is she going to end up with? So I think they, this, the third season has a lot of fun playing with that and doing interesting things with that. Um, I think, the character of Anissa, who worked really well in season two as this sort of like um, uh, romantic rival to Davy, when she in season three was incorporated in, or I guess at the very end of, the, of season two, was incorporated into Davy's friend group. It, it seemed like the writers didn't really know what to do with her. Like that, that whole subplot didn't really with her and, and uh, Fabiola mm-hmm. didn't really work very well for me. I just feel like the Anissa character is kind of a I don't know, there's not enough there yeah, um, without I, that sort of uh, romantic rivalry um, trope in place anymore yeah, for I, her. Yeah, I feel I the know.
1: same way too. I feel like they they kind of dropped the boat on Anise's character. I think that they could have done something more interesting with her, you know, coming to, to terms with her sexuality and um, having... A, a you know a more a sort of coming out kind of arc, mm-hmm. but they kind of drop it after they're like, oh, she and Fabiola don't have chemistry, which I don't really buy. I think that they just didn't really know what to do with her too. I so yeah, it's it feels like missed a missed opportunity for Anissa.
0: Yeah, um, I do love uh, the Eleanor stuff, and and I feel like season three might be the funniest season so far specifically because they really uh, boosted the Trent character, the sort of idiot best friend of, uh, of Paxton who um, you know, has a, ends up finding a sort of surprising romantic partner in the season. And then uh, just the, all of the one-liners and and, um, like, you know, he is like the definition of comedic relief basically. And uh, I feel like in another show I might, might've been, annoyed by how often that character is brought in to to
1: argyle and stranger things
0: (laughs) yeah yes exactly oh my god that is a perfect example because none of the argyle stuff worked for me at all in the later seasons of stranger things but um but i think every single trent joke (laughs) managed to land in the season of never have i ever so uh what did you think about the uh the increased trent of it all
1: Yeah, I was surprised how much I liked Trent because I was a little bit unsure of him because, you know, because Paxton's clique was always depicted as being sort of snobby and um, immature. But Mm -hmm. uh, I thought he was so fun. I think that he and Eleanor really hit it off and had just such a a kooky, you know, dynamic that it really worked for both of them um, and made both their characters more fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I I agree. I think Trent was surpri- oh, a nice surprise for this season. I do think um the new addition of this cast was probably the weakest part of uh of the season. Um yeah. Dez, who's Yeah, out again, I, I don't
0: know. you know, that's one of those things where it it uh it looks good on paper and then um it, it's just a really truncated storyline. Like it can only go so far because the arc is only uh you know, th- there's not very much room for that arc to fully um stretch out very much. But
1: Yeah. So yeah an enjoyable season funniest season, but um definitely still kind of hasn't reached the heights of season one,
0: yeah, I agree with that and and you talking about how well season one uh balanced the sort of comedy with the grief angle like when they when they mentioned the grief stuff again in season three, I was like oh yeah i I forgot about that <laughs> because yeah. like you know it, it's not really super well um integrated into this storyline, which is you know on on one hand it's fine it it marks that uh davy is is progressing as a character and sort of is not being defined by that um, that sense of loss, and and I appreciate the growth of the character. But uh, that first season was so much about that sort of dichotomy or uh, juxtaposition, rather of of you know the, those two sort of wildly um, th- those two ends of the spectrum, how the the extremes of emotions that she feels there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, really solid stuff. I think you know all of these if it sounds like i'm griping it's like tiny nitpicks and i really enjoyed the season and like as soon as it was over i just wish that the fourth season was out immediately because i just want to be watching the show all the time it's so good so.
1: this is the fourth and final season ben
0: yeah uh, um uh, you know part of me of course wants it to go on forever but i i think ultimately i'm happy with them making that decision and and knowing ahead of time that that's you know the the end goal that they're going for um especially for a a high school show like you probably don't want to stretch it out much beyond that because the actors are aging you know faster than the characters and uh the characters are already like fairly old to be in high school anyway so yeah um, yeah. so
1: yeah i yeah i think it's you can see the end game uh coming soon so i think yeah four seasons will be perfect for this show which i I love dearly all right
0: uh what have you been watching hd
1: I've been watching a bunch of stuff you know when you go on a trip you tend to uh stockpile a bunch of movies on the on the airplane so two movies that i watched on the flight to san diego were death on the nile uh the kenneth bronach directed Agatha christie uh It," which i actually enjoyed more than i thought i would i was kind of staying away from this for some reason i think because of just the many scandals surrounding the cast the the amount of times this movie has been delayed um the cast i'm i'm by the cast i mean army hammer uh letitia wright gal gadot to an extent mm-hmm. um but uh i thought this was a really fun solid movie <laughs> uh i thought it was hilarious that the we got an origin story for the mustache
0: <laughs> yes i've heard about this that's truly wild um i uh yeah, and I I've read this book and that is definitely not in the book. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, man, really. They funny. gave a
1: little bit more to um uh, Poirot in this in this movie. I think they tried to flesh out his backstory and his character arc a little more, which is why they gave the mustache the origin story, which I found so funny. It's like this whole dramatic flashback that starts that kicks off the movie and it's in black and white and some war flashback and super, super somber and serious. Bizarre stuff, but also kind of works. <laughs> Um, But yeah, if you enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express, you'll enjoy Death on the Nile, which I I was thoroughly entertained on a plane by. Very good plane movie. (laughs)
0: Okay, what else are you watching?
1: Another good plane movie, Moonfall, the Roland Emmerich film that I missed. It came out earlier this year, Ben. Do you realize that? I didn't. I forgot that, about that. That
0: is, yeah, bonkers. I mean, I realize we're like whatever eight, eight months into the year, but um, almost nine. But uh, but yeah, the fact that that's a twenty twenty two movie is just really wild. I know it's
1: it's blowing my mind. Anyways, Moonfall, the moon fell. Um, Roland Emmerich disaster flick, big dumb. Kind of B-movie fun. I enjoyed it. Um, it said, it does what it says on the tin. So I can't say it's a great movie. It's not anywhere near close to Emmerich's best movies. But, you know, when you get when you get what you d- expect, that's all you really need.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a song lyric. I wonder if it is.
1: <laughs> it probably is.
0: <laughs> okay, um, what else?
1: I watched Xanadu in... Um, Tribute to uh, Olivia Newton John's recent passing. I had not ever seen Xanadu and I did not, I realized I only had seen one Olivia Newton John movie, which is Greece. So I was like, I probably should watch one of her other movies. Xanadu is a very strange movie, Ben. Did you realize this? I um,
0: didn't realize it. I've never seen it. I've seen some clips from it here and there, but I've never actually sat down for the full Xanadu experience. Gene <laughs>
1: Kelly co stars in this movie. <laughs> and I had no idea about this. I was like, Gene Kelly's in this movie and he's like co lead. Or at least like the, the third build. Um, and, uh, okay, Olivia and john plays a, a muse. So like of Greek mythology.
0: Oh, wow. A literal and, muse. Okay. Yes.
1: And she appears to a uh, struggling artist so that he and Gene Kelly can open a club called Xanadu. <laughs> and... None of this movie makes sense. It's extremely 80s. Um, at one point, it becomes a Don Bluth animated film. Like, literally, Whoa. there's, like, a whole segment animated by Don Bluth. And I was like, what? I fell asleep for a second, and I woke up during this segment, and I was like, "What? Ha- what is happening? <laughs> um, not a good movie. Very bizarre. Uh, very 80s. Uh, fun time. Okay. Gene Kelly's uh, Dances on Skates again. So, you know, there's that for all you uh, longtime Gene Kelly fans. <laughs>
0: Where did you watch this? Do you remember?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, it's streaming somewhere. I think I just watched this on Amazon Prime.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, so you, you saw the moon fall, and then you also saw Moon Age Daydream? I
1: did. So this is the um, new David Bowie documentary. I saw a, a screening of this. This is fantastic. This is um, it's entirely comprised of archival footage um, and of, of – Bowie's interviews, his concerts, uh, as well as clips from various films that he's appeared in, as well as just, you know, classic films um, uh, throughout time. Some Lumiere films even show up. Um, and uh, it's part experimental movie reel, it's part video diary, it's part long con- cosmic concert across time. And it's Fantastic! It's very long. It's about two and a half hours, but wow. it feels like the only documentary that would fit a a person, a figure, a an ethereal being like Bowie. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much just like in the vein, in the the um, the image of Bowie. So um, it's it's fantastic. I would re- highly recommend going to see this, especially if you are a Bowie fan, even if you only know you know his big hits or know him through his film works. Uh, I would highly recommend seeing this just incredible showcase for the power of editing and, um, what you can do with, with footage that already exists and, um, just like the power of music as well. So incredible and power of Bowie, of course.
0: Yes, that's Moon Age Daydream for the the title of that one. And then uh you have something written down here called Happening. Are you talking about like the M. Night Shyamalan movie? Is there another movie called Happening? What's going on? There
1: is here? another movie called Happening. It is a 2021, um, 2022 movie. It's a French film directed by Audrey Duan. Um, it's actually a an abortion uh drama. So it's Oh yes, I remember
0: hearing yeah. about this. Yeah.
1: So it takes place in nineteen sixties France. It uh stars um let's see, her the actress's name is Anna Maria Bartolome, um, as Anne, who is a promising young college student who uh, gets pregnant one day and is determined to, you know, not let a pregnancy derail her her promising career. She wants to get into academia. She wants to be someone, and so she is like very determined to get an abortion um, at this at a time when even saying the word was illegal, you could get arrested. And um, it's a very, very prescient film. I watched it and was very raw while watching it. Um, it's an incredibly clear-eyed and also very, I want to say, relentless film. So definitely go in with a, um, you know, a stomach of steel because there's they don't shy away from things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a fantastic, really frank, really candid film um, Really, really powerful film. Um, and I actually watched it. It's sort of streaming. It's on AMC+, Plus, but I watched it through, you know, the Amazon Prime sort of you know, streaming Channel packages that they yeah. have. Yeah, um, But yeah, I highly, highly recommend this film. And that's um, happening, directed by Audrey Dewan.
0: Okay. Uh, you've also been catching up with Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. I
1: know. Yes. I finally have caught up with the thing that everyone's been talking about. And uh, Nathan Fielder, absolute madman. <laughs>
0: yeah i'm i'm caught up with it uh i think as we're recording this the the season finale is going to air later tonight and then it was just renewed for a second season so i'm very curious about what that means for the the ending of of this season and what's going to happen here um yeah man this show is just it's really bonkers i don't think i've talked about it yet uh on the podcast but what do you think about it
1: oh gosh it's like watching a reality show version of synecdoche new york it's so meta. It's so surreal, and it's so um, such a pointed commentary on the very on the manipulative nature of reality TV itself. While being extremely funny and dry, um, I've only seen a couple episodes of Nathan for you, um, but it's no surprise to me that he created something as strange and bizarre, and smart and weird as this. Um, it's oh God. Oh my God. I. I Episode four just like left my jaw on the floor. Is that the
0: like inception one where it's like yeah. layer on layer on layer?
1: Yeah, where he he it's uh, he rehearses as a student in his felt fielder method acting class, yes. and like that was incredible. And then, of course, like the, the dual storyline of the sun, um, and that whole thing oh my god there's like a million genres of film going on in this in this episode and i i don't even have the capacity to unpack it um but it's incredible
0: yeah i will say that the one disappointment that i i've really enjoyed watching it in, in sort of like a um you know a jaw agape kind of way all the way through like I've not been able to fully intellectualize what exactly is going on in the show, but just as like a piece of pure entertainment, it's really um, something to behold. But I think my one complaint, if I have one about the show is that the first episode did such a good job of like setting up the premise of what I thought the show was going to be, which was like every episode, a new thing, right? Like a new um, uh, encounter to rehearse for. And then that was really the only one aside from the, the Angela encounter in episode two, which went on to dominate the entire rest of the season. And I was kind of bummed to not see him as just this like carnival barker figure who steps into people's lives in, I guess that, that is more of sort of like the Nathan for you way. Um, you know, cause I've only seen a few episodes of that show as well. But from what I remember of, of hearing people talk about that show it was very like episodic and it wasn't like there weren't really like multi-episode arcs in the same way that, there are in this first season of the rehearsal where, like, the whole, you know, back half of the show basically is uh, is an extended rehearsal uh, centering around basically one subject. Yeah. Um, and the way so. Nathan Fielder
1: inserts himself into it, too, I feel like it's just as much about him as it is the people that yeah we, that are the like, like clients or whatever so yeah i, mean, I it's guess more it's introspective it's, in that way i guess it,
0: yeah definitely and, and it's just like a different thing than mm-hmm. what i thought it was going to be so it's it's partially uh on me for like um you know an expectation game and i should probably just like take the show at face value and and appreciate it for what it is which i i do to some degree but there is a part of me that i that that can't resist going like, ah, I wonder what this would have been if it was like every episode was a new, yeah. a new rehearsal. But um,
1: yeah, you know. I did really enjoy the first episode. It's such a fun little thing. And then it just like gets slowly darker and stranger.
0: Yeah. I wonder <laughs> if fun. like the, um, th- that first episode does such a good job. And it's so, uh, it's so wild to, to, the, to see the links that he'll go to, to, um, provide this experience for somebody that I wonder if, uh, trying to do that every single episode would lose the impact you'd lose the impact because yeah. you've already seen how far he'll go to do things and I think maybe, maybe that's they why. also ran out of money <laughs> yeah that's probably true as well uh, it definitely seems expensive to rebuild an entire bar like down to you know the the balloon floating in the corner and yeah. then transfer a car across the country so um, <laughs> yeah but anyway the rehearsal it's it's uh it's brilliant even though I couldn't exactly tell you why it's just one of those shows that that I you know when you see it where like something is going on here and this is just like much must watch television
1: yeah must watch tv for sure um other must watch tv i can talk about the sandman now i think i hinted about it in our last water cooler episode but uh you know actually it's a good show i had my reservations uh going into it just because i i love the graphic novel so much i think it's uh neil gaiman's masterpiece and i think that it will it's hard just to bring that p- particular experience reading the graphic novels for the first time into uh, t- into live action which is just limited by reality um but the netflix adaptation of the sandman series is probably the closest we'll get to like a good neil gaiman uh adaptation you can read my full review on slash home.com but um despite some pretty rough elements like i think some of their the lead actor was miscast and some of the acting choices, um, slash acting experience of the supporting cast is, is pretty rough as well. Um, I, I think it's, it's pretty great. There's, they do a great, like one episode in particular is a perfect encapsulation of why Sandman is so good. And, um, I guess if you've already watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Episode six <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> um I recommend seeing it if you are curious about it if you like Neil Gaiman at all if you like fantasy um I encourage checking it out I want to check out the new two new bonus episodes that just dropped on Netflix so I
0: was just gonna ask that. you about that so um yeah I have not tapped into watching the show at all but um but yeah as I think as of today there are there are new episodes up on the show on the uh on Netflix which is like an unusual thing for Netflix to do. Typically obviously they release everything all at once and um, the fact that they were sort of holding back on on new stuff I was curious if they like gave that to critics ahead of time or if they kept that stuff siloed off and it sounds like they didn't give that stuff
1: they out ahead of time. They didn't. It came as a surprise to me too and actually being left out left in the dark like that it kind of made me more excited to see it because I'm like oh what what were they holding back? And one of the episodes um, which is the uh, the Cats, I think Dream of a Thousand Cats story uh, is fully animated, I think, by the team behind uh, Amazon's Undone. Oh, wow. uh, So I'm really excited to see that just because I, I love when shows break form and do something experimental and interesting like that. So that one I'm, I'm quite excited to see.
0: Awesome, and then you watch Better Call oh Saul. God.
1: Ben, I can't tell, talk to you too much about Better Call Saul because you haven't seen it yet, and you don't I don't think know. you probably will because you seem very hesitant. Um, but oh god, the Better Call Saul finale was perfect. It was perfect, Ben. Uh, okay, that's all I wanted to say. Otherwise, I would just get into spoilers, and no one—I just talked to myself. Uh, anyways, Better Call Saul, <laughs> perfect show.
0: Awesome. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I know that obviously like endings are a, a big sticking point. And, uh, it sounds like from, you know, everybody that I know on, on Twitter, who's watching this, uh, seem to have nothing but good things to say about the ending. So, um, yeah, always good to hear. Uh, okay. So I'll just blow through a few things that I've been watching. I watched, uh, my wife and I watched a show called Il Proceso, which, uh, is Italian for the trial. We're going to Italy, um, next week actually is when we leave. And, uh, my wife for over a year now has been doing, um, Duolingo and learning Italian and she's just killing it on that. So we were looking for a show to watch like an Italian TV show, Italian language TV show to watch. And she heard about the show called the trial, which is on Netflix. And, uh, I wasn't really expecting too much from it. I uh, didn't really know, you know, I don't regularly dip into Italian TV, so not, I had no idea what to expect. But this show was actually really, really good. It's a, a really solid courtroom drama um, about a, a murder of a 17-year-old girl and uh, the prosecutor and the, uh, the public defender who um, are clashing throughout and, and what happens in, in, over the course of uh, the trial to, to figure out who murdered this young woman. And there's tons of like really cool twists and turns and uh the show is shot really beautifully the cinematography is great the the only i think really the only gripe that i have with this is that um occasionally for seemingly random reasons the show will just like uh drop into slow motion to try to heighten things dramatically that don't quite need to be <laughs> to need to be heightened in that way um so uh but still you know each episode is like an hour or something 15 minutes and and there are only eight episodes and um yeah I, I was like completely riveted by this I thought that the story was great all the uh little yeah twists and turns and revelations were um really really well done and the acting was incredible I, w- I was very surprised to see uh well these performers that I, I didn't know anything about so I shouldn't have been too surprised I shouldn't have had any, any expectations really but uh Vittoria Puccini and Francesco Siana are the leads in the show and they um they did a tremendous job and and the um series uh, the trial was created by alessandro fabri uh, i think that's how you pronounce his name and i need to like put this person on my list because um i, I want to see what else they've made I, I know that uh he's made a show since the trial called fidelity that came out uh also on netflix this year um which i've not seen any of yet and i think that's only a six episode show um but uh yeah, uh really good stuff. I highly recommend the trial if you're looking for like a solid um uh, courtroom drama show. So uh there's that. And then I watched uh Modern Times, the Charlie Chaplin movie from nineteen thirty six. Have you ever seen Modern Times, H G?
1: No, I have to say I haven't.
0: Okay, this one is on uh, the Criterion channel right now, and it's definitely worth watching. I mean, all of Chaplin's movies that I've seen so far are definitely worth watching because it's just so impressive the way that he was able to have, like, a true mastery over the the silent film uh, medium and, like, the idea of getting the, giving the audience every single thing they need without any words. It's just so... Um, it's so pure The the filmmaking is so pure. Uh, and this is the movie modern times where he plays the tramp again, the character that he's sort of like most known for. And he, uh, there's there's a whole bit with him working on an assembly line. It's it's him inside like an industrial facility for a lot of the the movie. Um, there's a moment where he's doing this uh, skating bit, which I don't know. Even if you have never seen the movie, you may have seen this moment on Twitter in, in clips and stuff. Because there's a moment where he's on roller skates and he is uh, on the I think the fourth floor of a department store, and there's a giant uh, gaping hole where they're doing construction in the store and he is blindfolded on roller skates and he is skating backwards (laughs) and all around and like getting really, really close to the edge and like almost falling into this, you know, gaping pit basically. And uh, his co-star, Paulette Goddard is like standing off to the side and like freaking out and like, uh, you know, trying to, to pull him back, but he's wearing a blindfold. So it's this really like, tension filled um comedy sequence and it's super well done and you may have seen like there's a there was a gif i know a, a year or two ago floating around on twitter where it showed how they did this with like matte paintings and and sort of uh, it pulled the camera back and showed exactly how this um this effect was achieved mm. and uh i actually watched on the criterion channel there is a like a 20 minute uh thing where ben burt the the um, sound designer of the star wars movies and has been you know, a huge figure in modern cinema history. Him and um, I forget the other guy's name, but he's like a visual effects guy. They spend like 20 minutes talking about modern times and like how they uh, basically their friendship is involves like looking at old movies and trying to figure out how the filmmakers achieved these, um, you know, these effects and like how the hell they actually pulled this stuff off. And they were the ones who uh, basically came up with the idea uh, and, and sort of like solved, quote unquote, this, this effect, how Chaplin pulled off this effect. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, Modern Times, it's 87 minutes long, really very much worth your time. A uh, lot of funny bits, a lot of uh, really impressive, uh, like pure filmmaking stuff in there. So check it out. Um, okay. And then there's also, speaking of the Criterion channel, there's also a series on there right now called Starring Myrna Loy. And uh, I've seen her work in The Thin Man. And I really enjoyed her performance in that and wanted to dive a little bit more into some of her filmography. And so I watched a movie called I Love You Again, which uh, reunites her with the Thin Man star, uh, William Powell. Oh, have you ever seen this? I love you again.
1: I haven't, but I love William Powell. So Oh
0: my god, yeah. So Powell and uh and Loy are quickly becoming two of my favorite actors. Just like uh, barn like period. They they are so enjoyable to watch and uh I need to watch like all of the Thin Man movies because I love that first one so much. But um yeah, seeing them in this movie is very enjoyable as well. So the the premise is uh Powell plays this guy who uh i'll I'll read you the synopsis from imdb boring businessman larry wilson recovers from amnesia and discovers he's really a con man and loves his soon-to-be ex-wife so Powell like basically gets knocked on the head in the very beginning of the movie and realizes that he spent the last nine years being this super boring guy who lives out in uh you know the middle of nowhere and is like really into you know his local community and he's married uh He's married Marina Loy, and she is like at the end of her rope with him. She's about to divorce him because he's so boring and she just can't take it anymore. And she thought she saw a spark behind his eyes one time of like, maybe this there's something more to this guy. And she couldn't quite ever unlock this the secrets of this man, and she's about to divorce him. And he realizes, like, oh, maybe there's a way that I can, you know, sort of milk this situation and, and get some money out of this. And, and you know, uh, he's a con man, so he's he's always looking for a grift. And uh, then he actually ends up falling for this woman who he's never seen before, even though he's married to her because this amnesiatic personality or whatever is like an entirely different persona. <laughs> so there's a lot of like, you know, uh, sort of screwball hijinks going on here. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fun movie. I love you again. Definitely worth checking out. And then, HT, if you are a, a big fan of, of uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy, I would also... I think my biggest recommendation, maybe of this entire episode, is a movie called Manhattan Melodrama, which mm. came out in 1934. And this one stars those two. And it also stars Clark Gable, oh. who I don't know if I'd ever seen in anything outside of Gone with the Wind. Maybe like one or two other really small things. But um, this was like... a You know, my eyes were opened in a very big way to how awesome Clark Cable was because he uh, is just incredible in this movie. So the premise of this one is really, really cool. It starts out with um, a bunch of uh, uh, a couple of kids who grow up to be Powell and Gable's character and uh, characters and their best friends. And uh, they're basically from age five. Um, sort of on the opposite sides of the law. One of them is like a big troublemaker, and the other one is like a you know straight arrow, book smart type of kid. And then they grow up to become uh, Clark Gable, who is like this slick gangster criminal type of character. And of course, then, he's the well, troublemaker. Yeah, and then William Powell is like the um, you know fast rising p- politician. Like he's a he's a uh, an assistant district attorney, I think, in the beginning of the movie, and. Uh Myrna Loy is this woman who is sort of caught in between the, this love triangle with these two guys. And um, it's a really, really fun movie and uh, a terrific performances all around. It's super well written. And it's like one of the better movies from the 1930s that I've seen. So oh, I got to check um, it
1: out. Well, this is on Criterion Channel?
0: It is. Yes. It's called Manhattan Melodrama, which is, I think is a terrible title really for what this movie actually is. But it's so fun and slick and like the... Um, the the sort of convoluted nature of a lot of these movies uh you know y- you don't really mind it when the performances are this great and um the characters are just so well drawn and it's it's uh yeah an incredibly enjoyable experience so uh manhattan melodrama is on the criterion channel check it out um Mary Loy actually has a lot to do in that one, which is more than can be said for some of the other movies that I've seen her in on this, you know, libel lady and like uh, Mr. Blanding's built his dream house and like some of these other, um, movies that I have caught up with, but you know, are probably not worth mentioning in full here. Um, but this one actually, she, she has a lot to do and, uh, and is definitely an enjoyable screen presence to watch as always. So, um, yeah, that, that's all. That's all I've got. I think. Uh, any other things that you wanted to mention here, HT? Before we wrap it up,
1: that's it. That's all for me.
0: Okay, cool. All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, you can find more about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked it inside the, episode, the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert
1: hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.